This is the Western Devs Podcast, episode number 7, recorded August the 27th. In this episode, special guest Steve Rogowski helps the Western Devs understand the No Estimates movement. Boy, look here, we got something for you. Let's start off with why are we even estimating software right off the bat? Managers want you to estimate. Why do managers want you to estimate? I think we need to set expectations, right? People want their expectations to be set. What are we going to deliver by when and how much is it going to cost? There is a perpetually in business, there's a, a chain that goes all the way back ultimately to a shareholder, be it your the uh, boss that runs the company or a group of, of uh, shareholders, a broader group. And the reality is that someone has put money in to do something and take the company in a certain kind of direction. And an estimate serves that as a, as a tool for planning. We have X number of resources. We have uh, so many months ahead of us this year and these objectives to generate revenue. Where does this fit in that scheme? And I think that's probably the source of a lot of pressure for estimates. I think James is right on as far as treating estimates as part of your investing, right? You're investing in the company, you're investing in software. And when you invest, you want to know what the ROI is, and sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. But you're, you're making a choice based on what the market is doing when you're investing. You're making a choice based on estimates and what the market is doing when you're doing projects or products. I think that also gives us a clue of how to talk about no estimates when we talk about investing as well. I think it's an important question to ask, too, because, because it's so hard, and you know, we'll get to that later, we forget that there's a really good reason to have these estimates, that they're very important to setting expectations. It's just like having your own budget for your, your own household. You want to see where your money is going. You want to see when stuff is going to get done so that you can set expectations for the other people that, uh, that are, are, um, you're responsible to. And also there is the fact that treating software like other perhaps more uh, well-known engineer that uh, they have more experience with that and they say, okay, software should be the same and we need to have the same kind of estimates or the same kind of uh, uh, time boundaries and have an idea of how much we're going to invest. Okay, well, that seems pretty reasonable. But it's it's been my experience that uh, the estimates that we give are not very good and I don't understand why. Like I had a I had a guy come out and put some sod down in my yard yesterday and he said it's going to take two hours and sure enough, two hours later it's done. But I don't see that sort of accuracy in software. So why is the guy who's putting down sod so much better at estimating than all of you people with your big degrees and qualifications? Because sod isn't knowledge work. It's, I mean, it's at some points just as simple as that. I have friends who are in construction and they know if they're going to build a house, it's a certain amount of dollars per square foot. And if you want to build luxury, that dollar per square foot goes up. And there are problems in construction. There are problems in any, any industry as well. But they can cover their butts if they do that dollar square foot, per square foot estimate. Same when I used to be in a roofing business. We knew that it was you know, a certain dollar per square meter for a roof. And on average, that was going to cover us. And if we were over sometimes, it was fine. We were going to be under sometimes. But we had so much business, and it was such similar business that it was much easier to estimate. 
I don't think software is like that. Software has more variables. If you're building the same thing over and over again, well, that's, I don't know if that's good business anyways. Well, I, I would argue it's not so much knowledge work as creative work, right? I think it's hard to estimate creative things. I agree. The um, guy who wrote the book, How to Estimate Damn Near Anything, talked about it, and he estimates a lot of things. But he talked about software as a very different process, that he figured software was more like science, where every project is research and development. I don't agree fully with that, because there are some projects that are easier to estimate than others. But there are enough projects where we don't know everything, that as far as how the technology is going to work, how the people are going to work together, you know, is the product going to be useful, what gotchas are we going to have? What is Microsoft going to change in the middle of the project? What is going to change in our, in Angular, right? Whatever, whatever tools we're using, that we can't estimate everything as accurately as we would like. So, what about other fields uh, that that actually do have some creativity component to it that can still give you uh, estimates? Like, say, I don't know if architects apply here or other engineering fields where there is some variability, but they still provide, I would think, reasonable estimates. Yeah, well, let me ask you guys a question. There's a few people here, I think, who are book authors, right? When you're authoring a book, do you estimate how long it's going to take per chapter per the book? Is it at all accurate? No. Douglas Adams has a really good quote about that. He said, uh, I love deadlines. I like the whooshing sound they make when they pass me by. <laughs> I would also throw out there that it's also to do with the magnitude of the task. And I would actually say that I would bet you that if you do like a two-hour task and you're off by 15 minutes, the impact of that 15 minutes is not generally significant. But it's actually a really large deviation off of your estimate. But when we have projects that span weeks and months, it's still off by 20%, but that 20% means another month. So I would say that most of the contractors who I've ever had come and do work on my house or work on my car, I never actually get it when I when I when they said that they would get it done. But the impact of the percentage off is not meaningful. I think it's is not uh, only about creativity, but uh, we tend to think on estimation with software, like uh, they were were saying, it's about tasks, right? And in my experience, the the most complex bit is not building the software, but understanding what's supposed to do and communicating and deciding what features you want or you don't want. But it's not about that we took longer to build because uh, it was like 20 minutes more and we said three hours or five hours, something like that. Usually it's uh, about either building the wrong thing or or taking more time to, to build it because uh, we, we weren't sure that that's what they wanted or or we just didn't know. Yeah, those those unknowns are definitely an, an influence on the outcome of the project. The other thing too, and I think it relates not just to knowledge or creative work, but also in, in the construction industry, and it's, it's something that does affect everything that we do, is the 
our inability to manage the external uh, dependencies, the, cr the critical things that, that will all of a sudden throw our schedule off. Uh, example, in the physical world, like, I mean, uh, I just had my fence built earlier this summer. They said it was going to take three days. On the third day, they were expecting a shipment of wood. It did not come until the next day at noon. So it ended up taking them four days. That was a 33% increase in schedule. And it was an external factor because they simply didn't have the supplies they needed. So those planning and external dependencies can also play a big role. To play uh, on what Amir said too, there's a certain physicality that you don't have with software. So to get back to your, your fence example, you didn't go to your fence, the guy who was building your fence, and say, yeah, you know what, um, actually build this part of the fence three feet high and that part six feet high, and then come to him the next day and say, actually just make it four feet high everywhere, resulting in a whole bunch of rework. So with software, you have a lot of these logical or virtual components or pieces, and it's been my experience over the years that because these aren't things you can touch or feel, people think that to make changes to them is just, oh, well, yeah, I'll just tell the guy to do it and he'll do it, right? Like, we just want a couple of new fields on this form. What's the big deal? Why is this going to necessitate all this work? You know, and sometimes we can do exactly that and they ask, for, ask us for something and two minutes later it's changed and live. Sometimes we can do that. So they're like, well, why can't you do that every time? Yeah, I guess that's pretty much, yeah, exactly it, right? Like, non-technical people perceive or have this understanding that it's it's very easy to make software changes, right? I mean, we all sort of joke about how you flip the production bit in a config file and presto bango, the app works. Um, sometimes I think users or people that contract or pay to have software developed don't realize that, that that's a joke. They think that that's a real thing. So that might also be why estimates tend to get blown is just sort of the human perception of, of effort or what's involved. Well, and just sort of get back to that, like, why are they inaccurate? It's because we actually don't, I don't think we can be accurate. And we're also very optimistic and we want to come out in the best light. So our emotional behavior is such that we're going to give the most optimistic value and we don't want to look bad. I always convert that to no one is as smart as they think they are. I guess it's a bit negative sounding, but <laughs> that's also been my other experience is you'll ask a guy how long will it take you to do something and he's going to say, you know, it'll take me an hour and then it takes him three days. And just because no through no fault of his own, he thought he was smarter than than the task at hand kind of a thing. And it turns out, well, maybe he didn't understand all the nuances of what the work to be done, or maybe it was diving into a part of the framework that he didn't understand or that kind of a thing. But again, you have this this human perception of difficulty, I guess, that gets in the way. So people always chronically underestimate. Yeah, so, but why did he feel compelled to give you a number when he was probably, like, I know that when I've been given, when I've been asked, how long will that take? And I'm like, you know, earlier in my career, I would definitely said, oh, I can do that in an hour. I just need to be, I need to show them that I can do my job and I know what I'm talking about. And then it's easier to sort of ask forgiveness than permission. Whereas today, I would, today I would say, you know, honestly, I don't have an, I, I don't know. If I, I mean, but if I, if that, I that, that came with experience that you learn that I honestly can't estimate well, but fresh out of school, you know, you're not taught anything about estimating. You think, oh, I'm smart. I know the programming language. That's the hard part of building this, this particular feature. You, you just lack the, the awareness of what you don't know. Uh, the other thing could just be to plain old vanity, right? Everyone wants to look smart. They want to be the rock star. They want to be the superhero. So they'll say, oh, well, yeah, I can do that in a day or a half day or whatnot. And then three weeks later, they're still slugging through the task at hand. And and then three weeks later, they're they're changing their estimates. And now they're doing the fudge factor and adding 
20, 100, 100, 200, 300% to all their estimates and, you know, never building anything fast again so they don't have that problem. But honestly, I have to say, most of this, what we've talked so far, does sound a little bit like, to the outsider, and maybe not to us, sounds like whining. Wah, wah, we can't estimate because it's really hard. And I don't think we always have that as a realistic excuse. When I go to a client and say, I'm not going to estimate this project, just pay me, they're going to say, sorry, we'll look for someone else who can estimate, even if we know their estimate's wrong and they're going to change controllers to death. So we have to have a better answer. Right, Simon? Yeah, I think so. So one of the things that I I have seen a lot of talk about, uh, certainly on Twitter and other places, is this whole no estimates movement. It seems outrageous to me on the surface that you would be able to just say, well, we're not going to estimate anything. Is that is that really what this movement is about? Is it just abandoning estimates altogether and just building whatever we want, whenever we want? Okay, so if we look at the no estimates movement, let's just understand where it's coming from. We know, as we've talked, talked about, there are problems with estimating. It's hard to do. We know that even when we have estimates, that they get misused by all levels, by ourselves, by management, by executives, by clients, by, by, us, by our stuff, by ourselves. So that's where the no estimates comes from. Is we know that this is a big problem. We've tackled big problems before. Let's explore. If you look at the no estimates movement on, on Twitter, what they're trying to do, and there's lots of people out there, but at, at its uh, base, what they're trying to do is explore alternatives to making decisions with estimates. If estimates are problematic, can we make some of those same decisions we're trying to make with estimates without them? That's really at its core. It's continuous improvement. It's saying, let's challenge this notion. Is it possible to make those decisions without estimates? To have projects go even better without estimates? If it's not possible, that gives us one clue. If it's possible, let's go for it. Because really, estimates can be very frustrating and problematic. Well, they're also looking for they're looking for more cost-effective ways to make those decisions. So it's, you know, part of it is that are doing this estimation and it's often wrong, so can we make better decisions, but can we also spend less time estimating? Can yeah, we do, sure. make these decisions much faster? For sure. Why do we have to spend three months estimating a project? I don't know if anyone does it anymore. <laughs> I don't, but, right? It still Estimating, happens. is that giving value? That's one of the questions people are asking. Why don't I just build the software instead of estimate it? You're going to get it faster then because I don't have to estimate. I know I've heard one of you say that exactly at the conference. When your boss asks you to estimate, you can say, well, how long is it going to take? Well, if I have to estimate it, it's going to take me three hours longer than if I just do it. But if we're talking, you know, large projects, let's say six-month-plus projects, uh, don't you need some mechanism to kind of set expectations about kind of what's in scope and when are we going to get to it at a very high level, like not granular, Gantt chart level? You know, I don't think so. My, that's my belief. I'm, a, I'm, I'm firmly in the no estimates mindset. I think that with the agile philosophy, if you were to say that here's two points on the iron triangle, we'll let the other one flex. You can manage if you fix all of them, which is what the estimates are really going to try and do. They're going to try and pin down scope, pin down time, and pin down money. But estimates, uh, you're talking about a commitment, not an estimate. Ha, well, but is there a difference? You, you are talking Absolutely. about using estimates to form your commitment. Right, How but I'm not, suggesting, I'm not suggesting on my, on my hypothetical six-month project that we necessarily need to make a bunch of commitments. But I do think people expect estimates so we kind of know 
what is in scope and kind of what we expect to get done in the six-month project at a high level. We may not commit to them, but I still think there, there's value in those estimates of setting some some kind of high-level expectations. Do you not do you not think so? But if those expectations are completely wrong, what's the benefit for you? If you cannot commit, then how do you know how much money? Maybe you said it's going to be this amount, and then it's ten times that amount. What's the benefit of that? So is your is your counter argument that if we can't get it a hundred percent accurate, that there's no value in it? I I, I don't did, think I didn't say that. Well, what I mean is uh, th- this idea of not estimating that doesn't mean that at some point you don't know how fast you're going. But if you need to commit in one day for six months, what's the benefit of that? Well, so I mean, like for example, I was working with a, a recent client. Right, and they wanted it does to build a system that does some scheduling and room booking and membership management and billing, right? And they need to know is this is this you know kind of the at a high level the stuff we need is this a month or is this six months is this fifty grand or a million bucks, right? So and we have to give some expectations there even if we know they're not going to be hundred percent accurate we need to give them something. Yes, but the difference is if you're going to give them those expectations in two hours or you say let's work a couple of weeks until we know a bit more, let's see how fast we're going, and then we'll give you an idea and we'll get better and better at it. But we don't commit to estimates right now because either that is completely off or if you get too much pressure, you need to, to say it's going to be, I don't know, using the fudge factor, an amount more because I want to cover my bag. So. so Amir, I think what you've just changed to is one of the common tactics for no estimates which is let's say let's not estimate but instead let's spend two or three weeks building the product that you're looking for but then what you're still going to estimate from there right that's what they're looking for they're they're instead of paying you two to three weeks to estimate they're paying you two to three weeks to build something but at the end of that right or wrong those clients our clients are asking okay now how's it what's going to take to build the whole thing yeah but now you actually now you actually have data you actually have behavioral data for the team or the system that's building that software. You have some familiarity with the concepts. You didn't spend any time up, up, up front necessarily guessing. And I would suggest that what Dylan said, like, is this one week, one month, or 10 months? I would suggest that's not the kind of estimate that we're talking about. So I think this is great because this is, this is a, for me, a really valid response to no estimates. But people hear no estimates and they think, well, we're never going to estimate. But this is one response to saying our estimates are going to be terrible, so let's do some real information that's going to get us some real data and extrapolate based on that. And for me, I think that's a really valid way of looking at the, uh, an option for looking at the no estimates movement and saying, what have we learned from this? What are some better ways to estimates? And in fact, one of the better ways is to actually build stuff and then do reference class forecasting and, and extrapolate and say, we can build this much in three weeks so we can build that much more in six weeks or in six months whatever the project length is doing under the assumption that you keep things in relatively constant right if you finish those three weeks and then you switch teams you almost have to start again or if you switch technologies or if you correct yeah exactly or if you're building an app that has all kinds of integration pieces and you haven't integrated, you haven't touched all those little pieces, your estimates also are pretty invalid. If you've only played in one section of the app 
Maybe it's the easiest part of the app to build. Now your estimates are also useless, which, uh, this, which is why myself, when we're doing exactly what you're talking about, we're going to do horizontal slices of that whole app to make sure that we've touched every little piece of the technology to make sure that we uh, you know, don't have any big gotchas right from the beginning. So Steve, one of the, one of the things as if, if you watch the, the no estimate movement as it plays out on Twitter, it sounds like it's a complete abandonment of everything that we know about estimating and forecasting. But when you, when you drill into it more, you can see that it's, it's more about um, informed estimation and perhaps the resolution at which we estimate. Is that more accurate? I think for myself, that's what it is for others it's not like that there are as every issue there are polarizing sides where people who say i don't know how you can do anything without estimate estimating and there are others and say we've been working in a no estimate fashion as a company for six months for a year for three years without estimating at all so it really depends what you're looking at for the company that i work for as in consulting we have not yet found a company who's willing to say don't bother estimating just come in and help us in a coaching manner, that sometimes happens, but not for building a project or product. But there are companies who have their own software and they're writing for their own company who are moving to, we're not even going to estimate at all, not even forecasting like we're talking about. But it, uh, it sounds, I guess if you're talking at it from a consultant coming in, that's one thing. Uh, earlier you said it sounds like, wow, wow, we can't estimate because it's really hard. This uh, almost sounds like the similar kind of cop out is like we're not going to even provide estimates because it's really hard. Well, you're not going to to provide them again in and like in a meeting. We used to to do meetings, and I've done that for many many years to have meetings, right? That the goal is that let you play with whatever you want, but at the end you need to come up with an estimate. So it doesn't matter if you're a consultant or not. Yeah, I didn't mean, I meant from the perspective of trying to uh, convince somebody saying we're not going to do estimates for this project just because we don't think uh, we'll be able to do it. Yeah, I would, and that's why I usually I wouldn't say we're not going to do it, but I would ask how long do you take to estimate, right? And many times the, the estimation process includes a month of writing some kind of documentation and then do the estimation. So instead of writing that, let's swap to, to build it and and have these uh, thin slides that Steve was mentioning before and with that information we can say okay under under this assumption these teams these kind of uh, features here is what we can do and uh, compared to estimated using prototypes I think that prototypes the difference would be that sometimes that there are something that you do but you don't keep it right? It's only to show off. So actually it's not a thin slice because it doesn't go as deep, right? It's more, more user interface that actually covering the architecture. And I think that's why prototyping may give you the, the, the wrong idea. But Kyle, you'd asked a question about whether or not this was a form of a cop-out. And I think that you know, like Steve, you said that there's there's a polarization that's happened. There's people that say no, no estimates whatsoever. There's other people who say it's a granularity thing or a point in time thing that has to be continually reevaluated. Re- there's probably a context where the absolutely no estimate makes sense, and I don't know that it's always relevant. But I have um, 
a friend who works at a company, there's four of them, it's a startup, they don't do any estimates. They work on the thing that they believe, because they're all part owners, they work on the thing that they believe will add the most value to the company, and they do strategize, and they do shape direction, but then they work on that thing until it's done, because they believe that what they're doing is going to be the next thing that steps up their, their revenue. And I don't know in that context that beyond that strategy meeting that they're doing anything, okay, well, that one's really big and this one isn't as big, so we should work on the one that isn't as big right now. But there still has to be some kind of estimating to it, even if they don't admit that they're doing estimates. Yeah, because when you're talking about, you, like you talked about, work on the thing that adds the most value, but really what people want to do is work on the highest priority thing, and you have to balance uh, value and estimate, right? If this thing's slightly more value than this other thing, but it takes three times as much work, you're not going to do that thing first, right? So I think what I've heard from a lot of the no estimates uh, people, and Steve can correct me if I'm right or wrong here, is I think a big part of it is is right-sizing your stories, right? Kind of getting all the work into similar-sized chunks so that you're kind of implicitly estimating because everything's kind of similarly sized. Is that an important part of it? Uh, you know, that's what we're doing and finding out that it works great for forecasting. If we can do four cards in a month as long as they're similar-sized, and similar size can be quite... Because of the law of averages, you can have a huge difference. Like from a, if you're using points from a, a 0.5 to an 8, you're going to see if you count your cards, if you're doing four per week on average, you can count on that to be pretty consistent over a long period of time. Some weeks it's going to be two, some weeks it's going to be six. Uh, but on average, you're going to get to that four, even if, you're, even if the size of those cards is pretty highly different. Um, and you get good at making sure cards are what we call quote-unquote small enough. And eventually you get that nice forecast. And when you're talking about what Amir is doing, right? you start for three weeks, you start figuring, okay, we did 12 in three weeks, now we can forecast. That's a really valuable thing. I also liked what James talked about, about the uh, hunting value. And I think even when we're estimating, uh, using that approach on every project, whether it's for the enterprise or for a startup, is awesome. Let's hunt the value for this product. Let's go look what's the best for our customers. Which feature is going to serve them the best? Which feature is going to uh, reduce the risk of some certain thing so that the product doesn't fail, etc.? I really love that approach, regardless of whether we estimate it or not. So it, it sounds something you said there at the start. I mean, if I just take it at face value, it sounds almost unbelievable, right? You said that some things are, are huge and some things are small, but it all averages out. I just... I can't fathom that being true. I have to imagine that, that the reason things averaged out to four cards a week or whatever is you guys are either explicitly or kind of subconsciously making an effort to kind of normalize the size of those cards. It's just law of averages. I mean, it's that simple. Uh, we're not the only one experiencing this with our data. You look across, you'll find lots of people using the no estimates hashtag to show their data to show that exactly this is happening. It's really neat. So and I'd, I'll throw out there, it is actually not required at all for everything to be the same size. It just makes your, so we're not, I guess I should just throw this out there. I don't know if we've said it already, but we're not removing our desire to create or set an expectation. We're just doing different tactics to actually, to be able to set an expectation by watching data flow, by watching stories flow through our systems. It doesn't matter if it's small, medium or large, but we will see that we will have different, we'll set different expectations based on those. So they can flow through our system in any order and any size, as long as it's not extraordinarily like an outlier as far as size to throw off. We, we can take them out of the data set, but 
it doesn't matter what size they are as long as we're it just makes our forecasting a little bit more complicated if we have to classify them because I can't classify a large with a small I have to put all of my smalls together determine the average put all my mediums together determine the average put all my largest together determine the average and we can actually do this just by watching the data mostly but so you do categorize yours into small mediums and larges then because I don't think Steve does, right? You you may not need to. So if you have a team and basically everything is homogeneous as far as a population, a distribution, you don't necessarily need to do that classification. If you are doing that work, let's say that you're a team that's got a project, but you also have some operational responsibilities. Those operational tasks will flow, they'll be small usually, flow through the system quickly, but you'll have your stories, which may be, let's say there's two sizes of stories, like one that's small and a large. So you've got three different things in there. You can just, you'll actually see them in your data. The no estimates people will see them in their data, do the appropriate classification and then generate their average numbers and then set the expectation for that thing. I'm hearing a lot about using things like story points to, to figure out what the, the estimate should be what the metrics are. Is there anything else that you take a look at? Like you look at the number of touch points each card has. So if you've got some task that integrates with five systems, then it's automatically a a large card. Or is there anything else that you look at when you examine the the size of a task? So when we're, when we're like, I'm coming from a, a Kanban systems perspective, right? So a Kanban team might identify that, as a kind of work item. So it's not just a user story, it's an integration user story. Because integration user stories are gonna behave differently than, you know, single system UI user stories or something like that, right? So from a Kanban system, we would have integration work items flowing through the system and conventional user story items working on operational things. These are, all these classifications are happening and then they're creating a data set in which we say, okay, well, here's an integration story. How long do our integration stories normally take? Well, let's look at the averages for the integration stories. Oh, about 85% of the time they get done in seven days. So we're fairly comfortable saying that we could get this thing done in seven days. It might be five, it might be eight, but most of the time it's in this population of seven days or less. The user stories would have a different population. So you have to be fairly diligent about capturing that data uh, for past projects and properly categorizing it. Well, and so that's the really cool thing. So with probabilistic forecasting, if you go to Douglas Hubbard, he's got a book, How to Measure Anything. And he states that you really need seven to 11 data points before you can start to provide uh, a meaningful measurement. And a measurement is a decrease in uh, uncertainty. So you definitely have to go read his book, Douglas Hubbard's How to Measure Anything. But he says you only need seven to 10 points. And this is where instead of spending a month building an estimate or a week building an estimate, actually let's spend a week building the product. And after that week, we can probably start to provide you estimates. Because the interesting thing is, you know, let's we, we think from a developer-centric point of view, we will work for a week or we're coding for a week. Well, who else on that team is working for that week? The BAs are working for a week. They're exploring the problem domain from a business language perspective. So they're building 
a category of or a group of user stories. The developers are building experience with the technologies, the systems. They're trying to do a horizontal slice to get through everything. The testers are now thinking about how hard it is to test stuff. So that's a week of team experience. Maybe that's not enough. Maybe we need two weeks, but we don't need actually a lot. So Dave, though, are you, like in the cases where I've worked on this, where it was under the banner of no estimates, it it ended up being that two or three quote unquote specialists were thrown into a bucket and we were expected to build something in a week or two weeks, which is what we, we did. And um, at the end of it, we took what we learned and uh, tried to extrapolate from there. But you're like, you're saying that there's obviously, I mean, even from this conversation, there's obviously flaws to that because what value is it if you take only part of the team and only part of the project and with only some of the skill set represented and do your work from there, then that's not helping with the estimate either. Well, you're, you're going to be able to estimate half of the work. So say three developers got thrown in a room, go do a technical spike on this, but you don't have anybody exploring the business domain. You don't have anybody thinking about how hard it's going to be to test or document all of this stuff. So you're really going to be, your developer estimates might be good. How long does it take to do this kind of a user story? Oh, four days or so, five days, three days. So we've got a bit of information there, but you're only really building up any experience in half of the work you're going to do. Steve, you'd mentioned um, another thing that I had a question about as well, that you, like you, I don't remember what your measurement was, but it was like 0.5 to 8 or whatever. You have some way of measuring these tasks, maybe post-mortem or whatever, um, or, or just in some kind of retrospective that you guys do or whatever, but how do you assign weights like that and how do you learn that? Because you're saying that there's a whole group of people who are posting using that, that no estimates hashtag and sharing how their metrics line up, but um, 0.5 and 8 without understanding what they actually mean could just be like randomly assigned numbers. It's totally randomly assigned. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> we, for... <laughs> For the projects, just to give you a little context, for the projects we're working on, in our format for the last three years or so, we story map the project first, we break it down into little slices, and then we do planning poker on all the stories in that project. So planning poker is where you're going to get the numbers from 0.5, 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, 20, etc. And we use planning poker to estimate each card, and generally if it's lower than 8 or 5, we're pretty happy. And what Planning Poker does, it gives you those points, but it also gives you common understanding about what we're going to build. Common understanding amongst the team and amongst the the uh, client. And I know that some people hate Planning Poker. I continue to use it because it gives us that common understanding. Once we're done with the numbers, now that I've done enough comparison on counting points as our velocity versus counting cards, I throw the numbers away. So we ignore the numbers after we do poker just we just are using it for common understanding. And as we're evolving, we're finding, well, maybe planning poker isn't even worth it anymore. Maybe we just need to decide, yep, it's small enough and we agree what it is. And when we find a better way of doing that, we'll stop doing planning poker. So that's where we get the points from and how we've gone from points to just count. It sounds to me like, <clears throat> in addition to like the conversations and the sh shared understanding, you're really using planning poker to get those stories down to kind of like a somewhat similar size, right? Like you said, five to eight, but where it comes out of there is a bunch of stories that are small enough to do. Yeah, so I would say, again, anything from a 0 0.5 
all the way up to an 8 is small enough that the count works beautifully that all the probabilistic forecasting that Dave was talking about and I know uh, Troy Magenis also talks a lot about as one of the experts in the agile world and Kanban world on he wrote some of the lots of the software that some of the big uh, agile ALMs are using for probabilistic forecasting in their tools by the way so Troy is amazing and knows all this numbers stuff backwards and forwards if you want to do the research and the theory he's the guy to follow up on so we we'd actually had a rule in the last project where I worked on with uh, planning poker that if it got up to anything larger than 8 needed to be rethought because it was probably too big to be considered properly. Agreed. Well, there is one there's one method that I thought was interesting. We never actually ended up trying it is rather than estimating storing numbers, uh, story points, it's size the stories so that they are all the same and then measure your velocity basically by the number of stories rather than actual number of points. Yeah, I uh, I actually tend to, instead of doing planning poker, we tend to try to, maybe not size them all of them equal, but try to discuss what the acceptance criteria is. And based on that, realize that, that when a story is uh, too complex or has too many scenarios, then we split out and try to keep them in, in a time frame that we're comfortable. And that way, like Kyle says, uh, we, we tend to just see how many stories we do per week, and, and that help us. If we need to estimate that we focus more on value, but sometimes due to budget and other limitations, would that help us to see when, when things are going to get done? I think that's a great point. Like we're, and we're doing the same, even in our planning poker sessions, we're asking the same questions. What are the acceptance criteria? How can we split this story even smaller? And those are all excellent tools for doing exactly what you're talking about. If we do go down this road of kind of building stuff up based off of history and coming up with estimates in that fashion, have you found that this is acceptable to the clients, that they're, they're okay with this? And how do you set their expectations to understand that at least for the first few iterations that you go through this application, you're not going to have anything like reasonable estimates and you're not going to be able to give them any direction as to when things are going to be finished? So I would throughout that some clients actually Dylan and I were on a client where this actually would have worked because they didn't have a financial constraint. They just had to deliver stuff as soon as possible kind of mentality. We actually still did planning poker on this project, but the whole client engagement had no financial boundaries. So I think clients that have, you know, basically an augmenting a team and they're willing to spend until they tell you to stop are, are going to work like this. I think operational teams can do this kind of work because, again, they're financially unbounded. I think it's not like they don't want to know how much money they might spend or how much things might cost. But This sounds like a government. I was thinking it <laughs> sounded like Jurassic Park. Spared no expense. Spared no expense. <laughs> it was a midstream oil and gas company in, in Calgary. And they just had a system that they had to build. And they knew that they had to spend a lot of money to build it. So instead of worrying about asking the consultants or the consultant firm to create some estimate, which everybody knew was not going to actually provide any value in a decision-making. They just said, let's start working. Did it work for them? Yeah. Well, we spent very little time estimating. We spent tons of time working. So what was the, was the project uh, quote unquote successful? It's still going. Uh, I'd say absolutely. 
it was. And I and I think you're right, Dave. That's a good example because yeah, they they didn't really care too much about kind of the long term expectations. We had a bunch of stuff on the backlog that we wanted to get to at some point, but it was a very high trust environment, right? And we were delivering a constant stream of value, and they were helping us set priorities for what was the next most valuable thing, and then we just do it. And they kind of trusted us that we're we're delivering value. The stuff that's on the backlog, we'll get to it eventually once it becomes a priority. I think I think that the the financial aspect of you know the financial limitation for me works the other way around because when you do have uh, limitations is when really really is important for you to be somehow accurate. I don't think that when you have those limitations you want to hear an estimate that is not based on real facts or that you cannot justify. And most uh, also entrepreneurs or startups, they, they suffer that problem, right? And they want to know that what they're building is at their speed as what they're doing right now and not the other way around, right? Companies that they don't have financial limitations. It's true, they don't need the estimates, but I'm not sure they, they care about them anyways. Okay, Dylan came up with a really good word that might indicate not so much financial constraints or lack of them, but trust. You know, it wasn't that we weren't expected to produce. It wasn't that we weren't expected to produce a lot. We came in there and there was a lot of trust to try to do it this way in the beginning. And we re the team itself, the way it behaved, the transparency it brought into that organization reinforced that trust daily, if not weekly. You know, so instead of talking about, you know, is it going to fit in this dollar bucket? It's like, are you delivering value? Can you show me you're delivering value? Yes. Okay, let's just keep doing that over and over. Instead of trying to use the estimates to create a contract that was due to a low trust situation, we just proved daily that we were doing the good work and we didn't actually need, we didn't really need to do estimates. It was just sort of like Steve said, our planning poker sessions, I, I'm not even sure we really use the numbers very well, but we had those conversations. Well, but so that that, that scenario is not going to work for everybody, though. It worked really well for that client because that project would just keep going and we keep, keep delivering value and they were happy. They didn't really they didn't really care or need kind of long-term expectation settings. But I know there's – that's certainly not every project. If you imagine like a startup company – where maybe we've do, done some ideation sessions and we've kind of defined a minimal viable product. This is kind of what we need to do to launch. Or another example, I was recently working with a company that uh, was going to open a shared office space and they needed a bunch of software because before they could open the physical office. So there is, it's very important to kind of know when are we going to be at that certain point in time, the minimal viable product, when we can launch. And maybe there's some other really important stuff that needs to be scheduled around that, like build, building out a physical office space. Uh, and in those cases, it is important to get those long-term expectations, right? So you need to do some kind of uh, estimates and expectation setting. What I think is important is all of the things that Amir and Dylan of Dave have just talked about are all important things if you want to move towards no estimates. I've given a few no estimate talks at conferences, and the, one of the most common questions at the end is, how do I start? How do I shift my archaic culture towards this? So for us... The key word, and Dave said it and Dylan said it, is trust. You have to build the trust. You have to earn the trust before you can even move in that direction. So that means providing a big old estimate for your first project in the way that they expect and that awful thing that we hate doing but often is necessary. 
And then you start saying, okay, this project we're going to do a little different after we estimate. We're going to deliver in horizontal slices. We're going to let you prioritize the backlog. We're going to release things every day if we're using Kanban or every two weeks if we're using some sort of uh, scrum. And they're going to start seeing how this works and how they can say, well, I want this next. And well, that's not really what I thought we were going to get. So let's go this direction now. And you can see them starting to change and architect and plan and guide the project in a different way than they did before. And once you do those small slices, it's the next project you can show them. You remember that project we just did? We estimated. Here is our forecast. Here's our account chart, which shows our burn up of how many cards we can do per month. Here's the points chart. And look, they're the exact same line pretty much that you can plan with. The next project you can now do a little bit better and say, we're going to estimate a little differently. We're going to start a little differently. And in your third and your fourth project, now you're starting to use some of those no estimates products or, or, t- or methods. And maybe on the fifth or sixth project, they're like this dream client that you just had that says, fine, we don't need you to estimate. We know and we trust you that you're going to build that value for us and that we can direct the project as we go. So let's go for it. I think that's the path if you want to head towards no estimates. Yeah, and I got like a couple of things I've kind of learned a lot of, along the same lines what you were talking about. Uh, uh, number one, I think it's really important to, when you're doing estimates to understand how they're going to be used or, or if they're going to be used. Like for that oil and gas client Dave was talking about, uh, we kind of realized that estimating these long-term things, we just didn't need to. Nobody needed to make important decisions based off that. But I see a lot of people where they just estimate because that's what they've always done. And we have to estimate stuff, right? But I think like the startup or the shared office space example I was talking about, uh, they do need an estimate because they have stuff depending on it. So I think it's important to understand why are you estimating and then do just enough estimating to help make that decision. Right, whereas most people just estimate everything because that's what we know and that's what we've always done. And then the other thing about how to introduce that into a company's culture or environment, what I've had a lot of success with because I go around doing all the like process consulting type stuff, is uh, you just get them to do an experiment. Right, maybe they're not really bought bought into this no estimate thing, but they've heard enough hype that it might be a thing. So let's let's try it. Let's pick a small project or a big project and and take a small chunk of time, and we'll just try working this way for a month or two months. And after two months, we'll look at it and say, did it work or not? And if it didn't, we'll stop doing it. And I've had a lot of success with that. When you tell the executives that uh, we're not going to shift your business to no more estimating, but we're going to pick one project, one team, and we're going to try it for a couple months, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, I find that tends to go over pretty well. Well, this has been a really fantastic discussion. I certainly appreciated having everybody out here talking about their experiences and what they would suggest doing. So my my takeaways from this discussion, I guess, are first off around building trust with the client, with whoever it is that is looking for those estimates, because that's the only way that you can convince them that you do know what you're talking about and that you will be able to deliver some sort of a product to them that fills their needs at the end. And that it's advantageous to split everything into small tasks because that means that you can do small estimates on them and the variability is likely to be lower on those and it's it's easier to fit those into your mind when you're looking to, to project from them. And that we really need to measure continuously, always make sure that we're, we're re-examining the measurements we've already taken and so that we can reanalyze where we are and where we're going to because even small changes to the technology stack or the staff or the scope or anything else on a project 
can certainly invalidate previous measurements. Uh, so it it seems like no estimates is perhaps a a misnomer or a term that has been set up to to alarm people into thinking that it's one thing or another, but that we're not necessarily talking about getting rid of estimates completely so much as using real measurable data to figure out what the the future of the project is going to look like and when we can deliver things and when we can get off this project and get back to the beach. I think you got it, Simon. Okay, good. I'm glad that I've been successful at uh, summing up this conversation. So thanks, everybody, for, for coming and joining this discussion. And we'll probably have future discussions on this topic. It certainly seems like that people have a lot to say about it. And we'll be back next week with something new. <laughs>